This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Everyone, I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. This episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by B&H Publishing Group, publisher of Frankenstein, a guide to reading and reflecting. Visit bhpublishinggroup.com to get your copy and to see all the other classics in their series. We're so glad you've joined today's conversation. It's part of our fall series called What We Make of Ourselves. Week by week, we're working our way through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, identifying how the themes of this 19th century classic have has much to say about life in the 21st century. And Hannah, this is my first read of Frankenstein. I'd mentioned that before. But now that we're this far into the story, I can see why this has become a true classic and why it's still playing such a big part in our culture in terms of stories and ideas and and just concepts of this Frankenstein's monster. Absolutely. I consider myself a person who is very hard to impress. <laughs> I don't know that that is a positive character trait, right, but right. <laughs> I'm not easily impressed. And I am very impressed with this book. I So far in the reading, I just, I'm like, oh, okay, I believe you all. This is a, yeah. a really solid book. I was so surprised that a book like this, something that to me it's usually labeled horror or i don't know some sort of goth whatever that's not my typical read and so for me to be enjoying this book and i i love the story i love how it's written the words i'm i've marked up my book and these phrases are just amazing and this one is beautiful i i've just so enjoyed the whole experience of reading and when i've told people this is what i'm reading they're like what that doesn't seem like like you. And yet, it really is a wonderful book. I can see why it's really stood the test of time. But I have a question for you. Okay. How much do you love it? Oh, how like, much? How much? Like on a scale? How much do you love it? Like, do I need to? No, like how much would you pay oh, for it? Oh, how much would I pay for this book? Well, I mean, I, I paid for, you know, buying copies. Is that what you mean? Like at the bookstore? No. What I mean is, I don't know if you saw this, but there was recently a first edition of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. 1818 version that went to auction. Um, and it was auctioned off for a mere $1.17 million. Whoa. Okay, so first and edition, it, meaning it's the, the typed manuscript, like a book version, not like yeah, her notes. It's not even, no, it's not her notes. It's not her manuscript. It's like this is wow. one of the first novels, first copies 
I think it was like one of the first 500 copies that was printed in 1888. That's so cool. And it's, you know, it's it's a rare thing, but um, reports are that it actually shattered the price that has been paid for other oh, first editions. That is fascinating. And, and it, it was really a surprise because it was also shattering records for um, a woman. Yeah. Right yeah. here for their for their books and so, but one point one seven million that's crazy dollars for this copy of a first edition and and I was just reading that and I was thinking, oh wow, like what are you buying? <laughs> like what would you have to? Who would you have? Right, that's just what I'm thinking. What kind of person? I want to know what sort of wants to spend that case money because this, if you've invested that much money in a yeah. book, I, I, yeah, I love books. I would think you would have, but I don't think I, I would do think that. you would have to be a person who loves books. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be the kind of thing that you just buy because you're a collector of. I don't think so. Things of expensive no things or artifacts. It would seem to me that you would have to actually love. Books mm-hmm. and stories and mm-hmm. literature a great deal and and maybe even love Frankenstein. Maybe a so. Lot. Yeah, I don't think I could I could spend that much on a first edition, but I'm so glad we get to read the book as it is and not for that price. <laughs> we can still enjoy it. But it, but I do think it brings up a really interesting question about the value that we will assign to the mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Um even the fact that a book and not a piece of art or you know, some ancient artifact, but a book would uh, garner this price. I think that says something to the kind of attachment we have to books and to the stories that we take into our lives. I'm glad for that because I love books and I love stories. And I it makes me happy knowing that somebody is valuing these stories just as much to care to buy a first edition and invest that much. And really, as we think about the power of story and of narratives and things like that, it is embedded in this in this novel. I mean, there is story upon story, storyteller upon storyteller. There are so many layers to this it's novel. It really is. It really is. And I think that there are so many things that we have to look at with telling of stories, how we tell stories, where we tell these stories, and and how they get passed on. And really, that's going to be our discussion for this episode today, is looking at story and the power of story. Um, and and how what can we learn from great storytellers like Mary Shelley? Right, because we want to remind everybody that this is a frame novel. So it's a story within a story within a story within a story. It's like a story about a story. Mm-hmm. And we are in the central part of the novel where Frankenstein's creature. Somehow, I can't bring myself to call him I know, a monster. I, feel I bad know him that. that's what they they, you know, that Shelley uses a monster or a demon. I'm sure, sure, but I'm just going to go with creature. So the Frankenstein's creation, Frankenstein's creature, is telling the rest of his story of what's happened to him ever since he was created and when he finally meets up with victor frankenstein on this glacier in france and they're having a showdown (laughs) yeah so we're in chapter five at this point uh if you're in the b and h text it's page 162 um and it actually is it's fascinating because this reading starts with 
I now hasten to the more moving part of my story. So nothing subtle about this. Very clear that we're supposed to be focusing in this section on the power of story and narrative and how that shapes our choices and our sense of self. Mm -hmm, even. mm -hmm. As I thought about this presentation, it does seem very formal. And there's also something about the formality of the story, almost like it's just laying out the plot points one by one. So why don't I go through some of this section. Yeah, let's, let's just summarize let's catch it, up catch everybody, everybody up. up and and knowing that this whole section, it's very lengthy and rich. And so we will not do it justice. Everyone, I hope you're reading along because it's just so good. But as you said, we have this creature and he's telling the moving part of his story. He has become a daily observer of this family, the DeLacy family, and it's unbeknownst to them. So he's been observing them. He's kind of hiding out behind their cottage, which is a little creepy, but he's doing that and he's he's understanding Understandable. people. Yeah, it's a little strange, but he's doing that. And um, he's been there for some time through winter. Now it's spring and there's this... And initially, the sense of hope in spring and new life, and a new guest arrives to the the DeLacy family, to their cabin, to their cottage. And her name is Safi, and she is the love interest of the son, Felix. And so the creature is observing Safi becoming a guest in their home. She does not speak the language. And so the family begins to help her understand and teach her the language and and talk through histories and stories in a means to do that, which gives the creature an education. So basically, he's getting a secondhand education as they are helping her. So again, it's sort of like observing a story happening, and he's learning from it. So in all of this history of culture and language and family structure, he learns about families and relationships. And it's almost like you can see him putting things into place, putting people into their their spots. And so it helps him to understand a bit of who he is. And it really causes him to question, who am I and who is my family? Um, What's my history like? And so Shelley, in effect, is raising these questions about how does our family story shape us? How does history shape us? What are the stories that are passed down within families and, and root us in these relationships with each other? Really well done in this section. Right. Helping the creature because basically become alert to himself. The, because the appearance of Safi also comes with her own story mm-hmm. and her family background mm-hmm. because she is not of the same ethnicity or culture. And her background is um, among Muslims and Turks. She's Turkish and her father um, actually had experienced a great deal of prejudice. And that's how Felix had encountered him to try to help him out. Um, but you're right about the fact that they have kind of a very clear story to tell about mm-hmm. themselves as a family and even how Felix and Safi have met. And the creature realizes he doesn't have yeah. that. He has no sense of who he belongs to or he doesn't have anyone to tell him his family stories. And so that kind of absence of a narrative about self, he's very lost. 
um, in the world because nobody was there to establish who he is. The sense of situating yourself within a story and within a framework and giving you really a grounding, a rootedness. You can sense that with the creature as he explains this observation of here's this family and now here's this guest and here's how their stories then intersect. It's not just their personal stories. It's also history of prejudice and trouble and turmoil between different people groups. And so this creature is starting to understand how we all interact and and meet up and influence and affect each other. So it's that sense of self, but then also can, kind of connecting back to that othering that we talked through in previous episodes about how we are who we are, and yet we're, we are who we are in relation to others. And so you start to see his understanding come together in this section. As the DeLacy family story unfolds, the creature starts to understand the difficulty that comes in relationship, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, and as his learning grows, things are unfolding. He's still observing and he happens upon some books in the woods. And so this is sort of interesting that he's learning, he's seeing the family learn from books, and then he happens upon these books in the woods. And one of them being Paradise Lost, and he starts to read these books. So then he's been able to learn language and learn how to read because of Safi, and now he's reading his own books um, that he's found out in the world. And I love this. He says, I can hardly describe to you the effect of these books. They produced in me an infinity of new images and feelings. And he he becomes very attached to these books. And then I think, oh, we, we would like the creature because he loves books. He would pay. <laughs> he would pay. A million dollars for a first edition. That'd be great. <laughs> and this is why we cannot call him a monster. That's right. He likes because books. Anybody Come on who now. feels this way toward books <laughs> cannot be a monster. Right. So he. Not at the depths of their soul. No, no, no way. <laughs> so as he's reading these books, he, he also starts to get this bigger sense of almost like creative narrative. So creation narrative, there's creator and a creature. And um, we've got even the Christian perspective of creation and fall. And so you start to see that first he has this sense of self within family, and then it kind of gets this bigger sense of self in terms of who am I in the universe. And so um, he he starts to grapple with some of that. Um, but these stories that he's reading are giving him um, not only a deeper sense of self, but they're they're helping him to get a sense of what he wants in life and with others. And he says that my heart yearned to be known and loved by these amiable creatures. So he starts to feel like it's not enough just to be the observer. Um, he wants yeah. more out of his story, really. Um, so then what he does is he hatches a plan to introduce himself to this family. You know, he's been just watching them. And now he's thinking, I must have connection with these people. He wants to enter into does. their story. Mm -hmm. And he he no longer wants to be just that outsider. It's fascinating because to your point, she, she moves from the family history and radiates out to kind of like mm -hmm. national history to existential history of 
you know who you are in your family, you know who you are in your country or nation in relationship to other spaces. Who are you in relationship to your creator? Oh my goodness. Or where you came from, your origin. So and all good. of that. All of that produces this sense of my story has to connect with these other stories mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. I have to be known and I need to enter into these other stories. I can no longer just be siloed. And so all of that happens because of storytelling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he has heard and learned these other narratives. What I love here with the creature, like he he sees that he wants more. He wants to be connected in this family. He wants to root himself with these people. But to do that, he needs to come out of hiding. Uh, He needs to share his story and get his story connected and known by others. So that's problematic because he's this creature. It's terrifying. terrifying. Because I'm reading it and I'm like, no, no. No, that is what I thought it. too the whole time. I'm like, oh, oh, oh no, oh no, no, don't do that, no, no, don't no, do no. that. <laughs> because I also think this connectedness with others, like we want to be connected with others, but there's also this sense of there's a way to go about things, and this poor creature hasn't really learned things about how you interact with others and how how you can best present your story because he's going to have to share himself and share his story. Uh, I mean, I, the one thing I thought was good about his plan, his plan was let me go to the blind father first and alone. That was, that good. was good. That like was good. he he's got a good plan here. He's going to go talk to the man who can't see his deformity and, and how grotesque he is. And he's going to just talk with him and he's trusting that if he can get on the good side with the father then the father will help with the the children and the rest of the family so he goes in and uh, introduces himself to the father it's all going fine until the family returns and the family is completely freaked out by his physical experience there were there was a line the women were flying hannah they were flying around the room <laughs> in fear and they reject him they they are very cruel to him and they run away and he runs off to the woods and this raises the question of who do you trust your story with? You have to pick the right people in the right time. And um, who right. do you reveal and, yourself to? And sometimes and it turns out like was, this. <laughs> this was not great. No. And there's this line in the book um, where he's like, I have acted imprudently. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. And <laughs> all I can think of is that meme from Arrested Development. <laughs> You know, it's like, I have made a huge (laughs) mistake. Right. Right. I thought of uh, Brene Brown talking about vulnerability hangovers, where this poor poor creature, he decided to be vulnerable, and then he realized, oh, no, I can't take that back. And so we all have had this sense of, I'm going to risk it, I'm going to put myself out there, and then it completely fizzles out. (laughs) Well, this didn't fizzle it. It exploded with combustibles. I I really enjoyed that part of Mary Shelley saying that he found combustibles. The creature found some combustibles. And uh, he went on a little bit of a destructive rampage here uh, in response to their rejection. So the family rejects him, runs away. There's this big, dramatic experience. Mm -hmm. The family is so traumatized. They're like, we cannot live in this cottage anymore. (laughs) 
and they're going to sell their cottage and sell their land and move away because this was just so traumatic. I mean, this is the joke we have when people find humongous spiders, like sell the house, burn the house, get out. <laughs> right. One small reanimated right. creature from and the then dead you think and you're going to leave like, your cottage. Now. <laughs> yeah. So in the response, the creature is like, fine, I'll just burn your house yeah, down. It's yeah, I'll just destroy everything. So he goes on this destructive rampage and then there's plot twist. Mm-hmm. He finds a journal. Yep. He finds Victor's journal talking through how he's going to create this creature. And it is the creature. So the creature is realizing, here's the here's my history. Here is how I have come to be. And I do have a father, someone who has created me. And the story takes a bit of a turn here where now the creature, instead of telling this story of the DeLacy's, he's now turning his attention back to Victor because that's who's hearing the creature. And he's saying, okay, Victor... I now have some more to share with you. And he begins to reveal the pain of being created and abandoned and rejected. And he gives the information that Victor has always assumed, which is the creature murdered Victor's brother, William, how he took vengeance on Justine, um, who was accused of killing William and convicted and Um, put to death. But he took vengeance on Justine, the creature did, by planting that necklace in Justine's pocket. And so the creature is explaining this as if this is just the natural reaction to what you, you would do when you find these things out in your life, when you realize, oh, this is my story. And then this is just, of course, what you would do. <laughs> it's it's a very um, strange presentation, but almost like, of course, this is what happens next. Right. And he comes and he basically lays this all at Victor's yeah. feet and says, you're responsible for abandoning me, creating me, abandoning me, making my life miserable. Yeah. There was, I tried, I tried to learn, I tried to grow, I tried to develop relationships, the world has rejected me. So now, because you're responsible Mm -hmm. for giving me life, you are now responsible to help me survive it. And so he has a request, I don't know if it's a request, but it's it's kind of a demand. It's an ultimatum. It's a demand, an ultimatum. Uh And this is where this section ends. He is presenting Victor with... um, the option and his demand, which is make a female creature like me who I can share my story with and we will disappear. You will never see us again. But if you don't, then I will terrorize you forever. <laughs> so so basically the creature is the ultimate incel. Really, exactly. <laughs> but but he does. He says, give me someone to share my yeah. story with. You have You have created me and destined me for loneliness and rejection so the least you can do is give me someone to live out my days with and have a story with and write this kind of narrative and life together and at first victor's like uh, i don't think that's a good idea <laughs> but then he's actually moved by the creature's story and he's like oh okay maybe i can do that and in the end we kind of finish this section with this vague promise that he'll work toward this end This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, 
We believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Okay, so Hannah, that was a lot in this section. So many things going on and so much to learn about story and the power of story. One of the things that I've been thinking through quite a bit here is how we make sense of ourselves and make sense of life through our stories. You could see that the creature was trying to do that, but we do this too. And there was something I came across that I thought was so helpful. Um, Kate McLean described it like this, and I'll get this article linked up in the show notes, but her quote is, the stories we tell about ourselves reveal ourselves, construct ourselves, and sustain ourselves through time. And so there's a sense here from Kate's work is that our stories are really feeding a narrative that we live in and that we embody. And it both shapes us and moves us to act in a certain way because of that. So stories are no small thing. Not not mm. at all. And I've experienced this in my own life where you are trying to make sense of the different points of your experience and you're putting them together. For me, I really want a cohesive explanation Mm -hmm. for who I am and how I got to where I am and you know add to that the sense that I believe that God is providentially writing some of our stories and so I'm looking for this this whole this plot line but the trouble with that too is like once you settle on a plot line (laughs) um you actually begin to live into it yes you actually it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy and i think you see that here with the creature like he's already determined that his life is going to be terrible so he's just going to be terrible along with it um but there is yeah it it is a fascinating dynamic like your story is not apart from yes but the stories you write also shape who you Mm -hmm. are um you were mentioning how it can be almost deterministic and it it is this weird balance between how much of it is set in stone or how much is it just leading you down a path versus can you make a choice to take a different route? Can you rewrite or move your story in a different direction? And being aware of the plot points, you mentioned wanting this to understand the plot points in the story. I feel like understanding the plot points of my own life, that has helped me to know when or how I can pivot or the maybe the inner work that I would want to do so that I could pivot. Because so much of our stories, it's behind us and what we know, but it's how we see those stories and 
and how we interpret them that very often gets us moving in a particular direction. So there is a lot of help in basically doing your own inner work, like processing through what is my story and how did I get here so that you don't come to the faulty conclusion of, oh, well, then I guess I'll just have to go off on a rampage and use combustibles and go hurt someone and kill someone. Because underneath what you're saying and what we see even within Frankenstein is the the question of agency. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how much are you writing the story and how much are you a character in a story and what i i think is fascinating is that kind of relationship between the word author and authority Mm -hmm. and authority has that sense of power Mm -hmm. and agency and authoring a story is the capacity to write it and make it play out a certain way and one of the things i've just been struck by over and over and over again within this book is both in Victor and in the creature, this sense of helplessness, mm-hmm. this this even learned helplessness of, I don't have agency, I can't make choices. Like there's this strange sense of, I'm going to work to create something wonderful, but then when things go bad, I don't have agency to stop yeah. them. And, and I think there's there is this tension between you know, destiny, providence, agency, how much do you control this? But what I have found within the storyline is a great deal of abdication of agency mm-hmm. and, and just kind of living into, well, this is the story. I've just got to play my part right. in it. And I'm just destined to be the one who's terrible in it. I'm destined to be the villain. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just be the best l- villain you can that. be. <laughs> That's right. right. Well, and this is such a strange, a strange paradox here because it is this abdication. But we did talk earlier about the role of ambition and how that pushed Victor to try to achieve and to um, create something that no one else has created. And yet when that happened, then he fell to this sense of helplessness and as if he didn't have any power any longer. So this waffling, I guess, or um, maybe the the swinging pendulum of emotion, I feel like there's that aspect too where we all have these sorts of things where you're up on the mountain one minute and then down in the valley the next. I think that she has, Mary Shelley has done a great job showing the inner world and how we all tend to succumb to these doubts and feelings and feel stuck. But we also can take hold of the things that we've been given and create great things or new things that have never been created before. So she does a great job with this, but it helps us to view ourselves within the story and to try to grapple with it for our own lives. Yeah, I think she really accurately presents the dilemma. Yes. I'm still waiting on the resolution, and maybe she's not going to resolve Mm -hmm. it in a way that, I mean, she set our expectations pretty low at the beginning (laughs) with her preface. It's like, look, don't take anything from this. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think she presents the dilemmas accurately. And 
as, you know, a believer, there is this tension between saying God is sovereign. God is working things out through his providence. Even the question of my family stories, even the question of where I land in history, what, you know, race I am, what nationality I am, how I'm treated because of this larger history. All of that is really out of our control. Like we don't choose who we're born Mm -hmm. to. We don't choose the family we're given. We don't choose the nationality or time that we enter the world. So, So there is this having to lean into God is sovereign, God's providence. But at the same time, you don't just live out once you're born as if you didn't have agency. Right. And the best way I have struggled to resolve this, and I don't know if it's even very theological, but it's the way I resolve it, is when I have heard authors talk about the process of writing a story, especially fiction, they'll say things like, my characters just tell me what to write. <laughs> Or I create these characters and I set them in motion and then they make choices and they do things within Mm -hmm. the storyline. Yeah, I've heard that too. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the author is taking his or her hands off of the plot, but that there is kind of this internal equilibrium and resolution that happens within the characters and the plot and the, the whole genesis of what's happening there. And so there's a sense, I think, as we're wrestling with this question of the stories we've received, the stories we're writing, um, there is a sense which we are characters within this larger story that God is Mm -hmm. authoring in his authority. But that doesn't mean we're flat characters. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we just play a role that has been prescribed for us. And there's this destiny and certain end and we just have to go along with the plot and that's not how you write good fiction. You actually release your characters to do what they're going to do within the boundaries of the prescribed plot and setting and dynamic. And there's this, there is this very vital and alive dynamic even within that process. Mm-hmm. As I thought through how I've come to grips with this idea of my my life, my story being this narrative, and yet God's the author, and yet I have some agency. I mean, these are deep questions. These aren't easy things to resolve. But what I have found is that the more I look at the inputs, meaning my life, coupled with who I have learned who God is and how I've come to know him, I feel like those two things together help me to know what's possible. And um, it can help me to see my past for what it is, the good and the bad, the ugly. But it also brings in that hope aspect where um, what I have experienced and who I've become they're needed and they will shape the story to come. But that shape doesn't, it's not determined ahead of time. It is something that I get to co-author, that I get to create. And it, it's 
not like choose your own adventure sort of a thing, but kind of like, how do I want to take these pieces and make the best of them and make the most of them? And so then there is that creative process. So I think that that's how I've looked at it is like, yes, I'm a, I'm laying it all out on the table. And then what do I do with all these pieces? And to me, that makes it feel a little bit less restrictive. And um, I don't know, almost like, it's less that sense of like, I have no options. It's more like, ooh, I have all these options. What am I going to do with it? Um, I think that in contrast, when I do feel like I'm stuck, most often it's because I'm not taking good stock of what I have before me. Um, and I'm not dealing with with those things that are hurting me. Um, like I think about the creature and how he has some things that are very painful and he's stuck. And yet the one solution he's come up with, that isn't the only one that's there. So um, that's what I think that's why I need other people helping me to sort out pieces. Right. And, you know, if there's one thing about how, as this story is developing, that I would just want to take both Victor and the creature and just shake <laughs> them and say, it doesn't have right. to be why? this way. <laughs> Like, please own your stories. Yes. yes, it's hard yeah. and very unexpected things have happened and you've made mistakes. But that doesn't mean that that past is going to lead yeah. you to a certain determined future. Like, these things don't have to be this way. And I guess maybe within our own lives, looking back at even the harm we've experienced through the mm -hmm. story that we've come into t to recognize that at this point you can own this and you can change yeah. it. You don't have to continue on in a certain narrative, good or bad, um, just because that's where you've been. Like there's this thing called plot twist. Yes. I like those. And, and you don't want it to be so out of left <laughs> right. field that it doesn't make sense, but that's what keeps the story alive yeah. and engaging. And even your own sense of, um, joy and creativity within your own life. You know, just because you've traveled one path for 10 or 15 years doesn't mean that you're not at a point where you can be like, oh, this is a life I've been given. I'm co-authoring this with God. And and we can take a different plot yeah. here. We, we can flip the script. Oh, I love that. I feel like that's a really good way to land this episode and, and close down the discussion for today. I've really enjoyed this section. I hope all you listeners out there, I hope you're reading and enjoying it as well. Um, and we have more to come. We're not done yet. And as always, come tell us what you're thinking. Um, tell us how you flipped a script. Where did you come to a point in your story and say, you know what, this is not the way I want things to end up and I'm going to make some changes. You can find us on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC and, of course, within the Christ and Pop Cultures Members Forum, um, our thread that we're having our running discussion about Frankenstein and all that we are individually processing with it. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at ChristandPopCulture.com or search for them at iTunes. Thanks so much to all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.